what? It's that show where some adults give each other a book report on the mystery, marvel, or machination of their choosing. And I'm back, guys. I took a week off. My cat went missing and we spent several days canvassing for her and I put out leaflets and I dropped them off to people and I looked like a real freak to find out that she was hanging out under a deck two doors down. And we had to try and like coax her out with food and she was not having any of it. Do you think it's like one of those things where she was like, oh, like, you're here, you're at this party. Oh, actually, it's like, oh, my been... mom is here, I have to leave. <laughs> this is a great party, I've been here for three days. There are skunks, <laughs> there's no food, and it's cold at night. Okay. And I'm not coming home. And I'm not coming home, I like it here. But yes, thank you so much, Chelsea, for holding down the fort while I was in my, in my feelings. Yeah, and my we, cat. we covered a lot of stuff. We had a lot of fun. We talked about conspiracy theories. I did realize after the fact that I missed one of my favorite conspiracy theories, Patrick, our guest, who has yet to be announced, but that's our that's our way. Yes, this week we are joined by the one and only Patrick Matthews. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show where we learn stuff about stuff. Pleasure. Are you excited? Yes. <laughs> thank you. <Well. laughs> you heard the conspiracy theory that... Um, JFK Jr. is alive and has been hiding for 20 years so that he could reemerge to uh, take down the government and like defeat evil and is also like the last airbender. Yeah, I haven't heard it, but I do buy I buy it. (laughs) It's actually a really good gig. This guy named Vincent Fusca, who is very, very clearly a much older like a deeply Italian man and not JFK Jr., noted <laughs> Irish Catholic. Uh, he has convinced QAnon people, QAnon supporters, that he is JFK Jr. Oh, good. What if Joe Biden is JFK Jr.? Oh, my God. I mean, do the Mr. Math. Biden. <laughs> do the math. And that math does work out. And it does, because. <laughs> Here's the thing, and maybe the, this is a really important part of it, and this is why I think that people might think it's true is it's like wishful thinking because like, Ellie, I don't know if you know this because you're like relatively new to America. JFK Jr. was like stupid dumb hot. Like so fucking hot. Like if you look at pictures of him, like it's not right for someone to be that hot. I don't know if that's true. Oh, it is true. That's what I'm saying is because, and I know what you're thinking, both JFK and RFK kind of weirdo looking, right? And then uh-huh. and then whatever his name is, Patrick Kennedy or whatever, the Joe Kennedy, Joe Kennedy the third, who's running for Congress right now, a little goofy looking. But JFK Jr. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah, slamming hottie. Oh, yeah. Fucking, yes. Slammable, exactly. So yeah. I could see being very angry that he died because he decided he knew how to fly a plane and he didn't. Uh, just being like, no. Be very <laughs> mad. No, 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 pretty boy. No! Goddamn. He's not dead. <laughs> he lives on in the spirit of Joe Biden. Will anyone do the math? <laughs> Won't even one person do the math about this man <laughs> that's in his like mid-70s? 126, I believe. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> At last count, it's a, it's actually one, two, six. I do like the idea that like in the year 1999, JFK dumped out of his body and into the body of Joe <laughs> Biden, who was already in like his 60s or whatever. I don't know. Yes. None of us <laughs> yes, that's what I'm saying. That's how it works. Do the math. It's all math. Oh, uh, well, that's a good news because this is an all math edition of what podcast. And we both have ma- math related uh Topic. I didn't bring a math. You didn't bring a math? Not even one? 
I brought an uplifting story, as I promised last time. Oh, okay. Well, luckily for you, I also brought an uplifting story. I just wanted to scare you a little. I bet you can relate it to Matt. Will I get extra points if I do that? You get three. Oh, <laughs> okay. Patrick, do you have any... Um, let's just let's get through it. Do you have any random facts that you know that um, you think our listeners would enjoy? Well, you know what my mom told me the other day. Oh, gosh, no. What, <laughs> what did she say? <laughs> that they're making irregardless a word. I think, actually, wait, hold on. I think I have heard this. They, they're like, making they irregardless a, a word I commonly say by accident. They're making it a real word? Yeah, but I don't know if they're yeah. going to make it mean like the opposite of regardless or they'll just be like colloquially, it just means regardless. This is what it says according to NPR. It says, Merriam-Webster defines irregardless as a non-standard but meaning the same as regardless. Oh, that makes me so angry. <laughs> I hate that If you're going to make it a word, then it just should just be the opposite of regardless. No, they're like, guys, we give up. Everybody keeps saying this. Just go for irregardless. it. Irregardless. I mean, I guess, is that not how language forms? Yes, Can we not make an argument? Yes, it's annoying. That people just say stupid things and then eventually someone's like, okay, fine. Yes, that is true. And language is constantly evolving. And actually, I was just thinking about this because I got really angry. So do you guys ever think about like a teacher that you... <laughs> You ever think about a teacher that you hated back when you were in school, and then even though it's been years, like you're still like you're still angry. Like I'll, I guess I'll just never not be angry. My math teacher, maths as we call it, sure, she's almost definitely dead now. <laughs> but this woman was unimaginable looking. What does that mean? She looks like a Quentin Blake drawing of a of a woman. She had like genuinely like bright yellow fingers from smoking no when she talked she would flutter her eyelids the entire time how um God, uh, just sheer willpower i suppose and uh uh frightening they're very frightening very frightening I, I just looked up what a quentin blake drawing is it's like that sort of like rolled doll like old yes children <laughs> like just kind of made of a, like vague shapes and scribbles of a woman it's like none of these look like a human being like even the ones that are meant to be a human being and are... in that they are a fabulous depiction of this woman she was a shambling assortment of shapes i had a professor this is how this all connects back i had a professor of drawing when I was in school. That's not a subject. It is when you go to art school, Smellinor. Whoa, got me. Also, yeah, didn't you go to like school where they were like, here's a camera and camera class? So I mean, like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Check it out. See you in three years. <laughs> <laughs> this is a camera. <laughs> so um. I was in drawing class and uh, this professor was a fucking dick. Uh, he was a dick all semester long. I hated him. He was never not a dick. He was never not a dick. But one of the things that he did right up at the beginning in a drawing class, in an English class, was say that he couldn't stand how young people said the word like. And so he was going to create a jar where anytime you said like out loud in class, you'd have to put money in the jar. And I was like, first of all, you can't extort money from students at a public school, but we can do stealing. And second of all, like that's just one of those things that always really grinds my gears is that language <laughs> is, language is evolving, and every single language, every language has these uh, like stopgap sounds or words. Every language mm -hmm. has them. So like in French, it's usually like im uh, im. And like in in English, a lot of times it's um or there's or people like 
I just did it. But I know we have friends who do this a lot where they just keep repeating the same word until they're ready to go on with the thought. It's a perfectly normal part of language. And it just so happens that like starting in like the late 1980s, early 1990s, one of the ones became like. And so the only reason that you would have for hating like being in sentences is that young people primarily do it and young women primarily do it. And so, you know what I mean? Like, so I was just like, I fucking hate this guy because he says um and uh all the time because every human being does when they speak. But he has decided that this specific kind of stopgap sound is wrong and you should be financially punished for it in his public school class. That guy, if you're listening to this, a uh, drawing professor whose name I can't remember because you're <laughs> insignificant and small. Your art looks like bad motel art, and I hate you. Like, I say like all the time. Everybody does. The only thing I can think of is that, like, in the 90s, it was, like, associated with valley girls and, like, stupid. Like, everybody does it. It's part of speaking. I think it's cute. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm off my jock, professor, from 10 years ago. Yeah, so yeah, get off our dicks. This is the part of the show where we share our titles with each other and we each get to guess what we think we might be talking about today. Chelsea, hit us with your title. Oh, I'll hit you with my title. It's, uh... Thank you. <laughs> it's, um... And they were meat lots. And then in parentheses underneath it, oh my god, they were meat lots. Referencing a vine of old? Referencing Vine, this is one of those fun ones that was like high risk, high reward, because if you know what the term mate lot means, then you know what the t- subject is. What do you say here? Mate lot? Yeah, mate lot. M-A-T-E-L-O-T? Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is. So that's, what, that's, that's the reward that I was taking a risk to get. Well, gosh darn it. I was like, I thought you were saying meat lot. And I was like, M- is lot. this about... The meat industry. There are still <laughs> context clues in that vine. They were mate lots. So is it about some sort of living situation? A living that arrangement? In, yeah, that comes into it. Okay. Mate lots. Mate lots. Is it like someone in your apartment complex that you burn? That is fun. And again, <laughs> almost, but no. Mm. Patrick, any guess? referred to as a mate. Like a lover? Who else? A friend? Who else? A pirate? You can't see it, but I just winked. This is a real non-verbal episode. <laughs> oh my gosh, I'm so excited for that. I'm, I love me some piracy. Well, well <laughs> as, as a topic, not as a, you know. Oh, like you wouldn't be a pirate if the opportunity presented itself. Like an Avast Miyati's Yo-Ho pirate, yeah. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right, not like a I'm the captain now pirate. Not like the Captain Phillips pirate. Yeah, no, different. <laughs> different. My title is Queen Coco. Say it again. Black cocaine. No. Fuck! Queen Coco. Queen Coco? Is it about chocolate? Nope. Is mm, it about Coca-Cola? No. Is it about coconut? Nope. Coco. I feel like you've really buried the lead here. Uh, Coco is spelled K-O-K-O. Oh, that's <gasps> Is it about Coco the gorilla? Yes. Okay, I will cry. I want you to know <laughs> a lot of things about her already, but I'm so excited. But I am obsessed with her. Uh, I told you I'd bring you something sweet. Patrick, do you know about Coco the gorilla? The one that signs? Signed. I have bad news for you. 
May she rest. <laughs> yeah, she's an oh. R.I.P. in peace kind of girl. Yeah, I don't. We'll get to her though. All right, Patrick, how are you feeling? How are you I'm doing? Good. How about you? I'm great. <laughs> are you great for pirates and gorillas? I've just been uh, knitting, you know. Have you been really? knitting? Mm-hmm. Show us immediately. <gasps> it actually, is I really the boy is knitting? Lie. It's really very therapeutic. I mean, oh my gosh, I love that you're knitting during this. We create as we create. You know what I mean? I used to knit in lectures. We said that it was a cool thing to do. I never that make sense. Yeah, I never <laughs> once made any single thing. I made several rectangles. Oh, <laughs> tell me, I'm just knitting. Rectangles are my speciality. Oh, nice, Patrick. That's a great triangle. I mean, I rectangle. Where, Patrick? You've made so many shapes. So I went to I went to HPV the other day. HPV. HPB, Half Price Books. Oh! <laughs> oh, we all know that acronym. <laughs> we all know that. <laughs> so everybody calls it. <laughs> we all call it HPB. They should. I don't see why they I... don't. There's no reason. Patrick, I want you to know that you were looking at me so seriously by saying <laughs> that I literally started to worry that you were having like a Joe Biden moment. There's no reason they wouldn't call it HPB. I can't think of a single one, so that's what we'll call it. <laughs> So there I was at HBB. I went because I wanted to get uh, books on knitting because my grandma taught me to knit many years ago and I didn't knit for the longest time. And then I was like, I'm going to knit again. Needed a book. Well, I looked it up online, but then I wanted to get a book for like tips and stuff. Yeah. Mm -hmm. well, what did I find? But this beautiful ode <laughs> to the fragility <laughs> of man, masculinity. The Knitting <laughs> Manual. Now, this is specifically 20-plus projects for guys. Um, let me just tell our, tell our listeners here that manual is spelled M-A-N parentheses U-A-L. <laughs> They're emphasizing man. I pulled it off the shelf, and I was just like, this is pathetic. I can't believe this exists. Like, I'm so mad at it. But then I look at the first thing in here, and it's so cool. So I had to buy it because I want to... I want to knit this thing. Oh, it's like so simple, but it's just like this really cool green blanket. It's like a big rectangle. <laughs> like a huge rectangle. And I had to get this book to teach how to do it. So, oh, I'll be able to make a Nokia phone holder. Oh, or, oh damn. Um, maybe you guys are going to be jealous about my new do rag, <laughs> aka face mask. But I say, that oh. looks like she's literally wearing, like, panties on her head. It looks like panties on her head. <laughs> oh, man, they were meat lots. So, you know me, I usually like to connect my what topics to, like, a greater theme that we're going to explore that goes to Usually something places. in the news. Yeah, you should be topical. But um, this time I really struggled with like kind of how to like broach this topic and how to really make it feel like, you know, like it would fill the space and that you would just kind of be like emotional and all those things. But honestly, I don't know how, what other way to say it is that like pirates were like super gay with each other and there's a lot of evidence about it and it okay. rules. <laughs> Normally like going into your topics is like sliding down a smooth slipway into like a lake that was a full dunk 
I read a bunch of stuff this morning about how that we could maybe hope for a vaccine in early to mid 2021. And I had just about a mental breakdown. So pirates are super gay with each other. And here's the thing. There's really two cool things about it that I want to explore. One relates to the idea of situational homosexuality. There's situations I would do it. Would those situations involve like being a person? <laughs> yeah, it's like any of them. <laughs> and okay. the other thing has to do with socialism. So I guess in those ways, they do kind of connect to like broader themes. I think a lot of times, you know, when we talk about historical stuff on this podcast, we're always necessarily confronted by the fact that for like all of modern history up until like maybe 30 or 40 years ago history was like only written and recorded and passed down by like straight white dudes and so right. they had a real bias about the information that they wanted to like keep or consider important or any of those things so that comes into play with matelot matelot is the french term for a seaman <laughs> <C-man>. and <laughs> matelotage is actually the term for this sort of like male male civil union that came up in pirates and this this came up in pirates it just kind of came up in pirates (laughs) (laughs) so when you read stuff about matelotage you know most of it they're trying to pull from records from pirates of which there are not that many because People who do illegal stuff don't always write it down. And there's also, you can see when you read different scholars' like thoughts about it, that there's a clear bias towards, well, I don't know, like maybe they were just like really good friends. And like, it'll say things literally where it's like, yeah, these two pirates sailed together for 45 years and they shared everything and they slept in the same hammock and they each wrote that the other one would get all of their spoils if they were to die. And then one of them fell overboard and the other one threw himself over. And like, they were just really good friends. They were just really <laughs> close. And they, were just like, and they were like, there's this weird desire sometimes to exalt the idea of male friendship being somehow like better than any other kind of friendship. Like it's like more extreme and intense, but also not gay. Like don't ever say it's gay. No. So they're like, yeah, we well, guys just don't understand. Of course it was incredibly close. These are two men who were like out on the water. And I'm like, yeah, God. they were in love. It's okay. And they're like, no, it's a bond you could never understand. These two men out there on the water <laughs> in a hammock together, one hammock. It's like, dude, they were just really gay. So then it became kind of unavoidable for scholars to not acknowledge that, like, this was a form of, like, homosexual union. And what's cool is it was also, like, a lot more socially progressive, not just in the sense that, like, it was homosexual and it was, like, understood. And, you know, this was a time where, like, you could go to prison for buggery or whatever in in Europe. Sad concept. Fun word, though. Yeah, very fun word. So it was, they were very progressive in the sense that like it was accepted and encouraged. Um, but also, like I said, they had basically a rough form of like spousal insurance where like if you had a mate lot and you died, then that ship, like that crew that you belong to would take care of your mate lot like forever. Okay. Sweet. That was really sweet. I think it's important to point out that, uh, Similar to kind of what happened in like ancient Roman civilizations and also like in medieval Japanese 
some of those societies, there was like a pederastic element to this where sometimes okay. this was the way that like a younger Bit of an age gap love situation. Total age gap love where like a younger man or boy wanting to rise in the ranks of the ship might engage in mate lot, might become the mate lot of a captain or like another high ranking pirate so that they could have protection, security, and companionship. That's the thing is like nobody ever like second guesses that companionship was a really important part of Maitletage, but it's just depends on who you read it from, how much they kind of put emphasis on that. I, I like how you originally painted as this like beautiful pirates of the Carib- Caribbean. Caribbean? Sure. Car- sure. Yeah, like romance story. And then you're like, psych, it was just Epstein rape stuff. No, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying not to shy away from the darker or the parts of it that are more like unsavory to us now in 2020. They're like, this was part of it because there were young, like, you know, there were young men who were pirates. And so there were relationships that definitely we would not see as consensual in today's society. But I mean, they were like 17 going on 18, right? Like pretty close. I haven't found any like hard and fast information about the age. I don't think they were like children. So yes. I don't think they yes. were children for no, if for no other reason than like children wouldn't be very useful on a, on a pirate ship. So they had to be old enough to oh, be hands. strong enough to like do pirate shit. Yeah. And I, mean, I think it's pretty easy to swab the deck. Is that what you think? I think. Clearly you know nothing about pirates. <laughs> Obviously, that, that's not what the whole thing was. That was just part of it. But I thought that I would be more upfront and say that, like, that is part of it. And that's part of it. And that's part of it. One piece of evidence in terms, like, in terms of, you know, really trying to paint a broad picture. Because here's the thing. Being queer is not a monolith, right? And being a queer pirate in the 1700s, also not a monolith. So there were a lot of different experiences with this. I'm sure there were dudes who were just like, hey, I'm on this boat, you're on this boat. You know, like, let's, let's, let's have each other's back. There were also apparently men who were like, oh, a little rape boy, <laughs> That's something which is not great. That's probably uh, <laughs> great thing. And say. there were also, this was also um, a nascent form of accepted polyamory where they would be on a voyage, they would engage in a matelotage, they would officially become matelots, and they were matelots on the boat. <laughs> and then they would get back to you know like sure and maybe one of them had a wife or like they found like a woman and then they would just share that woman they would become like a, a triad oh wow like oh, they okay. were like well known that like uh, were allowed to share romantic or sexual partners with with each other that was part of like the union interesting so it's not just about being gay like some of them were bisexual or queer as we would understand it which is really fun and it led me to one of my favorite things about Maitletage that I learned, which is that in Tortuga, which I'm not going to lie to you guys, I thought, huh? It means turtle. It does mean (laughs) turtle. Okay, but so you know how Tortuga was in Pirates of the Caribbean and it was like sort of like a fantasy place, looked really fun. Yeah. The place out of Star Wars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But with pirates. But with pirates. So I just thought it was like not a real place. (laughs) Like I thought it was like a a fictitious a fictitious like fantasy island made up for Pirates of the Caribbean and I found out that it was real and it was a real like pirate hotspot. Mm-hmm. Well, so the, um, you know, it was part of Haiti. So it was colonized by the French. Blech. And so the, <laughs> the Duke of Tortuga wrote to the king begging him to send a thousand prostitutes to the island female prostitutes because he was like they will not stop mate lotting and yeah sure it was just like to me like this is solid <laughs> gay right because like why would 
why would like the ruler of Tortuga beg for female prostitutes if they were just like really good friends on that boat? <laughs> like, so I'm like, come on, historians. Like, this is very obviously gay. And they will not stop mate lotting. They will not stop mate lotting. You remember that uh, Saturday Night Live where they were like talking about samesies? Samesies is so good. Guys, we gotta stop doing samesies. It's like, I want it. Oh man. Okay, well, some of us can still do samesies. Like. <laughs> So the king complied because they weren't about it because the same seas was not working out for the, for the island. Wow. <laughs> they sent a thousand prostitutes. And then, like I said, the mate lots just ended up sharing the prostitutes, but still honoring their like mate lot commitment. Aww. So like it didn't really work. Bless them. Oh, <laughs> hey, we're, we're back. Um, but we do have to leave tomorrow again for another two Ooh, months. So. Sorry. Sorry, Karen. But um, <laughs> take care of those kids, and we will be right back. <laughs> Don't Wait, worry I, about it. I do think that would really suck, right? Like, you know, we talk a lot about, like, inequality and talking about, like, uh, what it was like to be a woman back then. Because I would probably want to be a pirate. There were very, very few female pirates. And mostly, like, they really wanted to keep these ships all male, and now we know why. <laughs> <laughs> Like, imagine, like, you meet these two really cool guys and you get to have a devil's three-way, like, every night. And then they're like, hey, we're going to go on an adventure and you can't come. Like, you must not come. You must not come. It's our adventure. I'd be so mad. My feelings would be so hurt. Things like that that make me think, like, are 100% of, like, guys just, like, gay? And, like, that's the big secret. And they all just want to run off and do it with other dudes. But, like, some we have to, like... Have sex with women who have babies. Yeah, you can't be only samesies. Yeah, it's just like it's so crazy because like why did why do they do why do they play football and like oh we have to like boys only touch each other you know like <laughs> like wrestling got to got to dudes only to. oh yeah dudes only only dudes on dudes just wrestling you know it's masculine it's just so weird I think it's because <laughs> a lot of them like repress right that like not homosexual what do they call it homo erotic no it's like homosocial uh this is what some more conservative historians are trying to like push melotage onto as being like well like again like it's like the sort of apotheosis of male friendship as mm -hmm. being something that is somehow better than and more than platonic friendship but don't ever call it gay or sexual and so like even one of the one of the sources I found about this where they were like, Maitletage could be affectionate, even fraternal, meaning <sighs> brotherly. And it's like, if it's affectionate between two men who are not brothers, as we've discussed, and they loved each other and they mourned for each other and they took care of each other, why is it so scary to say that it was gay? So then you find this other form of like mental gymnastics, which is that there are some historians that purport this idea of situational homosexuality, which I'm not saying in, is doesn't exist. I'm just saying that like, to me as a queer person, it's part of like the queer, I guess like diaspora. It's weird to me when historians talk about situational homosexuality as if it is like conditional and somehow therefore that person is still straight. The most commonly discussed example would be like in male prisons. Where they're like, oh, okay. you go into a male prison, you've only ever had sex with women before that, but when you're in the male prison, and I am speaking specifically about you, that you would <laughs> yeah, like, you would have sex with men, yep. uh, and then you would leave. And so there's there's this idea that like, oh, this being, oh, because mate also happened 
in like a navy in the 18th and 19th centuries there was there were mate lots that were in like government navies and not like illegal pirate things so some historians are like well yeah because like you put a bunch of dudes on a boat there's no ladies there i mean what are they gonna do and i'm like some of them are not gonna get gay because they're not queer (laughs) and then some of them who you know because sexuality is fluid in a spectrum who want to engage in queer relationships will but like this idea that somehow you can be straight except for like in these certain parameters that allow you to do gay things but you're not gay is just such a weird mental gymnastics to me i'm straight Um, but not on a boat this was the last example i wanted to bring into it that's like a bit of a tangent i read team of rivals which is that like really popular biography of abraham lincoln that came out in like 2009 or 2010 or something and it was a great biography of abraham lincoln and i learned a lot of stuff about him that i didn't know before like that he was real emo and he had a girlfriend he had like a sweetheart who died when he was like 18 Uh or 19 and he wrote her like all these poems about how he just wanted to like crawl up on like curl up on her gravestone and and sleep till he died like and i was like oh my god get this guy a taking back sunday album stat yeah but also another thing that he did there was a whole part about how he didn't die he became a man and then he became a lawyer and the way that lawyers used to work back in the 19th century is that you know there was only so many times that somebody needed a lawyer so rather than like staying in one city and having a practice you would travel around the state wherever you were wherever you would pass the bar it was well known that lawyers like doctors would just travel from town to town be there for like a few weeks and then you'd go to the next town. So everybody would be all excited. They'd be like, oh my God, do you hear yeah. the lawyers coming? Get ready to do all your law stuff. And then and- they'd be like, well, no more law business. Off to the next town. Yeah, exactly. So he did that <laughs> in Illinois for like several years before he got into politics. What a boring town. Like, get ready, the lawyer's coming. The <laughs> oh lawyer's my God, coming. the lawyer's coming. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> Well, <laughs> some of these lawyers, because they were all men, because it was the 19th century, some of these lawyers traveled in pairs, like Abraham Lincoln. Some of these pairs, a minute. some of these pairs were known to be incredibly close lawyer friends, who, like Abraham Lincoln, always shared a bed. Which is true. That's and, just what friends do, you right. know, on the road. Well, I mean, it's you. I mean, y'all, y'all wouldn't really get it. It's like a. It's like when two guys, it's like a guy thing. Special guy thing. Like a level of friendship that like just women can't fathom. (laughs) (laughs) And in this book, which was written by a woman, I should point out a female historian. Look, look. Oxymoron, (laughs) am I right, ladies? (laughs) She took great pains to explain, well, you know, there's just a lot of evidence that like men would do this and it wasn't considered necessarily gay because it was expensive to travel around. And so it would be just more economical to sleep in the same bed as each other. And I was like, I'm sure that's possible. And I'm not pretending to understand like all of the nuances of like cultural life in the 19th century in Illinois, especially as it like involves lawyer friends. But I think if you, as a 19th century lawyer myself. <laughs> yeah, but I think you have a lot of evidence that somebody was like, hey, this person, uh, I am in, lo- I love them. I have nothing but affection for them. I think about them all the time. I'm going to travel the state with them for years and we're going to sleep in the same bed. I don't think that you're remiss in saying like they might have been in love. And I think even just like the desire to explain yourself or like defend that implies that you think that there's something like wrong with saying that. When to me, I'm like, that's that's just like evidence, right? Yeah. So in conclusion, 
pirates were like most definitely gay and any historian that tries to tell you that they were just like cool friends who set up inheritances for each other <laughs> is kidding themselves <laughs> oh chelsea yeah three for pirates yes five Guys. for the like crazy entry to that story <laughs> minus one for the historians lying and just for straight white men in general that's fair plus two because Thinking about Pirates of the Caribbean um, reminded me of this time at summer camp where my sister and I once made this amazing play and the scene of it was from Pirates of the Caribbean and we were in our teens and um, I got to do the Jeffrey Rush bit of you best start believing in ghost stories, Miss Turner. You're in one! And it was great. <laughs> you so, guys teenagers at a camp? Jesse and I were both leaders at oh, a Christian yeah. camp and we had to do a play one time about the creed and it was actually fantastic. And one day I'll tell you about it, but I probably won't. I want to tell you right here, right now, that this is the first day of my life that I knew that there were Christian camps in Europe. I thought that was distinctly, am I wrong, Patrick? A distinctly an American phenomenon. I, I've never once thought about it in my life. From what I've seen, just evidentially through media, they are approximately 700% uh, less creepy. <laughs> <laughs> the one than the American ones. Oh, what? You don't um, like, manipulate young children into uh, fearing hellfire if they don't admit no. all of their seven-year-old sins in front of all their friends? No, it was much more about like playing rounders and going to the tuck shop, which is a sweet the shop. The tug shop? Tuck. The tuck shop? Tuck shop means sweet shop. <laughs> I don't know why it was called the tuck shop. It just was. That's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound like... Something else is happening there. Say, well, and you judged pirates? For I would never judge a pirate. <laughs> I've never once judged a pirate. I've never once judged a pirate. How okay. dare you? Patrick, give Chelsea a score. Yeah, give me a score immediately. All right. I will give you um, six. There it is. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> guys ready to learn about the precious queen coco yep i love her so much tell me everything tell me all okay. of it one of the first words that coco used to describe herself was queen good the, gor the gorilla was only a few years old when she first made the gesture sweeping a paw diagonally across her chest as if tracing a royal sash it was a sign that her and her trainer francine patterson or head caretaker as she's now known had never really used, which made her laugh a lot. She said, Coco understands that she's special because of all the attention she's had from professors and caregivers and the media. I'm talking about Coco the gorilla. May she rest. She passed last year, but we have been talking about how a lot of the topics that we brought up have been fairly depressing. And learning about Coco's story just brought me so much joy. She sounds like she was amazing. And I just wanted to tell you about her. Please do. Coco became a primate celebrity because she had this extraordinary aptitude for language. Francine Patterson taught her for 43 years. She taught her American Sign Language. Starting from the, about the age of one, the gorilla learned more than a thousand words of a sort of modified kind of American Sign Language and had a vocabulary comparable to that of a three-year-old human child, which is amazing. Right. There have been many attempts to teach human languages to animals and none have been more successful than Patterson's achievement with Coco. I tell you, just like YouTube this beautiful gorilla and it is 
pretty incredible. You may have seen, the reason that I knew about her is that I had seen the video that she did with Robin Williams. Yeah. Which I'll talk about a little bit later. That's how I first knew about Coco. And that's kind of what got me on to reading more about her. She was featured twice on the cover of the National Geographic magazine. One of them was a picture that she took herself, which is like possibly the first or the earliest documented animal selfie of all time, which is pretty cute. And that was in October 1978. She took a photograph of herself in the mirror because it was all about how she had recognized herself in a mirror, which is a huge test when it comes to self-actualization and self-awareness. If you, if an animal can see itself in a mirror, it has a different understanding of itself in space than most other animals, which is interesting that some cats can and some cats can't. I know, it always freaks me out. Like you ever see the videos of the cats that like attack the mirror? And I'm like, bitch, yeah. that's you. She's just eyes up to the glass, like, nothing. <laughs> absolutely nothing. It's Chip either. Chip can't see himself in a mirror, but Gus could. Yeah, Mamba can. There's that iconic photo of Mamba seeing himself in the mirror. And like, <laughs> horrified. It's and I'm like, good. yeah, to know yourself is horrific. Coco had pet kittens that she's kind of treated as her children. And she expressed many times, we'll talk about it a little bit more, but she expressed many times that she wanted to be a mother and she would try and like nurse the kittens who were like, no, I'm a cat. Um, (laughs) she tried it she's a western lowland gorilla which the latin name is gorilla 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 (laughs) in a row Oh yeah. Just, oh, I read about this. Yeah. Just three in a row. And like, I think it's the, I can't remember what other gorilla. There's it like, there's a gorilla, there's a gorilla gorilla, and there's a gorilla gorilla gorilla. And she was one of those. <laughs> Here I got, I pulled it up when you said that a Western lowland gorilla is a gorilla gorilla gorilla. A cross river gorilla is a gorilla gorilla DLE. Uh-huh. Hell yeah. Look, we all um, get it. But a gorilla 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 is considered critically endangered by the International Union for the Conservation of Nature. So she really was a very special gal. She was born July 4th, 1971 on Independence Day. So the name that she was given when she was born was Hanabiko, which was Japanese for fireworks child. <laughs> and she was born at the San Francisco Zoo. And as we said, she was only one years old. So researcher Francine Patterson began working with her in 1972. She was then moved to Stanford when it was shown like how amazing. She didn't go to Stanford. She just like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in a way. She then got a scholarship to Stanford. Uh, I would watch that to... Lifetime movie. <laughs> she was moved to Stanford and then Patterson and the collaborator Ronald Cohn founded the Gorilla Foundation. So in 1979, she moved along with that group to the Santa Cruz Mountains where she spent the rest of her life. As we said, she, she ended up having the vocabulary of a small child. And so they knew that from studying Coco and with learning more about Coco, that we could learn a huge amount about not only how animals develop, but like how emotions work, how similar is that to humans? So many possibilities of things to discover. It was a pretty great leap forward in terms of how amazingly she could sign as opposed to any gorilla before. It it just, it opened the field for a lot of scientific research, which is very cool. Very cool. So we learned a lot. We learned a lot from Coco. Coco's behavior revealed emotions very similar to those of humans. And we knew a bit about that. It was clear that Gorillas had emotions, but the fact that she was able to communicate showed just how alike we are. Mm-hmm. She seemed to have a sense of humor. She was very mischievous. And you can see that a little bit in the video with Robin Williams. She keeps taking off his glasses and putting them on. Wow. Cynthia Gorney was a contributing writer for National Geographic, and she interviewed Coco in 1985. First, Coco did not super warm to her. 
And she called her a toilet for her sign language. Yes. And so Patterson, her head caretaker, was like, Coco, that's not nice. And eventually she kind of opened up to this interview and let her let her be sort of be asked some questions. And then when Gorney asked where gorillas go when they die, she signed comfortable hole. Goodbye now. <laughs> She's like, I'm done with your questions. Yeah, she's like, that's some bullshit. First of all, never speak to me, toilet. (laughs) This person's a toilet and I will not be answering her questions. (laughs) That was apparently a whole thing with Coco is that she, because of the attention that she received, she knew that there was something special about her. And she would, that's why she called herself queen. And she would like reach a point where she was like, I'm done answering your questions. Like she was kind of a diva, which is like, hell yeah. Coco amazed scientists in 2012 when she showed that she could learn how to play the recorder. That's that. not only... Huh? I couldn't even do that. I tried to get a sword. <laughs> I was really bad at it. Really hard. It revealed mental acuity, but also crucially that primates can learn to intricately control their breathing, which is something oh. that we assumed was beyond their capability. Uh, yeah, I hadn't even thought about that. Right. To be able to play a woodwind instrument, you have to manipulate how you breathe. And it was found out that they could, they could do that. In terms of how we learned more about how similar their emotions are to ours, Barbara J. King wrote for NPR about the BBC documentary that was made, Coco the Gorilla Who Talks, which aired in 2016. And she wrote, famously, Coco felt quite sad in 84 when one of her adopted kittens, whose name was Ball, passed away. There is this non-human primate grief mediated through the language that she knew. So... The footage in the film, Patterson asks Coco, what happened to Ball? And in reply, Coco utters the signs of cat, cry, sorry, Coco love. And then after a pause says, unattention. And like, goes into her room. (laughs) I know. So she's like, my cat died and I'm really sad. Actually, I can't really do this right now. I'm going to go and do my own thing. Unattention. Unattention. I wish that that would be amazing if we could say that to each other. It's just like, I'm actually having a moment. Unattention. Unattention. I am thinking about making that my Slack status the next time that I'm like working on something and I don't want to get like 50 million questions. (laughs) Unattention. Unattention. Sorry. I remember reading about All Ball because there was a children's book published that was called, I want to say it was called like a kitten for Coco or something like that, or Coco's kitten. And it was about how she like picked out All Ball. And she named her, which is why she has the name All Ball. All Ball. (laughs) So there's an amazing interview with someone who was lucky enough to go and meet and learn all about Coco while she was still with us. And so I want to like pick out some of these questions and answers. Yes. The interviewer Morin was talking with Patterson about just how much Coco signs and what she can understand. Um, and Patterson says, I remember Coco was doing a gesture that goes across the top of her head and forward. We were telling her, we don't understand what you're saying. Can you say it another way? And she just couldn't. She just kept doing that one sign. And then I looked at some footage of her brother at the San Francisco Zoo engaging in play with another gorilla. And I saw the same gesture. Finally, I understood what it meant. He jumped, he did the same gesture and he jumped off a rock to play with the other gorilla and it means take off or in the sense jump off. And she was trying to tell us to take off our lab coats. (laughs) So she and her brother had the same gesture even though they had never met. So Coco was trying to use as much as she knew about sign language and her like instinctual gorilla signs that they had, their conversation that's already established between gorillas to try and communicate with the people. So she was like, take off, take off your lab coat. And they're like, I don't, I don't know what you're Yeah, like take a load off. Like, let's go party. Yeah, yeah. Right. Like you can take that off. We're like, we're friends here. 
We're hanging out. 2000 crazy. And then the interviewer asks, besides gestures, are there any other forms of communication that she uses? And Patterson replies, if she tears a page out of a magazine or a book, it's meaningful. It's because she wants to see it and keep it. It's not like she's not just trashing something. She's keeping it. Um, she also uses some cards we gave her with objects printed on them when she has something to say. I remember one Valentine's Day, she had some cards out waiting for me that stated pretty clearly, where are the goodies? <laughs> yeah. So she was aware of like symbolic events in time as well. She said very much so birthdays, anniversaries, holidays, even a month before her birthday, she starts putting out some of these cards with birthday designs on them, birthday cakes and things like that. We had a celebration, I think it was Easter, and Coco got very excited for the festivities to start. She got dressed for the occasion, fashioning a bright yellow piece of fabric into a skirt. It proved that gorillas have a concept of time very similar to the human concept, and they understand, like, anniversaries. They understand things that happen annually. Again, like, pretty high, higher order thinking. Yeah. So, yes, so there's this film where Robin Williams is, like, in Coco's enclosure with her and they like she very really warms to him. I read that she met Robin Williams once and had a similar reaction uh, to her kitten when she learned that he had died. And Patson says, she actually wasn't told that he passed away. I was with her and we started getting phone calls when the news broke. She was right next to me and could hear the conversation and knew that something was wrong. She asked me to tell her what it was and so I did and it was upsetting to everyone. And Morin says, so she remembered who he was. Oh, yes, she had watched him in movies before and his visit was not too long after her gorilla playmate passed away. She hadn't smiled and had been very, very sad, not talking much, not eating much. And when Robin Williams came, she knew he was a funny man and she started to come out of that malaise. She had her first smile with him, her first laugh and her first invitation to play a game with someone. And he really helped her healing. So she remembered who he was exactly. I know. Did you happen to read how she got that friend that she No, I didn't actually. So his name was Michael. And it was because like you like you said earlier that she's, you know, Western Lowland gorillas are critically endangered. And so obviously they think, you know, Coco is incredible. So they want they wanted her to be able to have babies so they set up video dating for her where they had all these videos of different male gorillas that were like available and then she got to watch all the tapes and then pick out the one that she wanted to come live with her which is also again queen shit queen (laughs) queen behavior and they never quite made like a romantic relationship but they did become like lifelong friends until so a few more questions from this guy he uh-huh. asks, how does primate cognition compare to that of humans? And she says, it's similar, but each species has different specialities. I didn't know this. Orangutan's plan escapes by weakening little bits of mesh over time and not saying anything. And then when it's just ready to go, they like, bang, they're out of there, which is crazy. And they found out through tests that chimpanzees have better short-term memory than we do. Which... I, I believe it. Now that I believe, yeah. <laughs> I mean, we're not hardwired for short-term memory. So it's useful to us. Do you guys remember that movie Congo? Oh, I don't even want to. We'll we'll get into Congo. With you talking about with Amy, the talking gorilla. Yeah. Oh, okay. This one's really cute. So, Coco had like a an instinct to store precious things, which they saw as like very much a human kind of activity. She would position objects over time, Patterson says. I forgot to mention, I noticed once that Coco somehow had put a cover over a small table and the underneath part was just was private, just for her. 
The first thing that appeared under there was a, was a doll, a cocoa doll we had made for her, a plush gorilla. The next day I came in, there was a larger gorilla doll next to it. And then the next day there was a baby in between them. So it was like she was playing and telling a story. Like she, could t- she was telling herself a narrative of a little baby gorilla, like a gorilla family, playing with toys like kids could. Apparently Michael, Michael crops up in these questions, was more of a storyteller. As soon as he learned the words cat, eat, bird, and bad, he was saying that cats eat the birds and that they're bad, which is like having a moral judgment about the behavior of another animal. Well, and it's like stringing, it's like putting them together in a way, like I do think there's like something, something higher order about like learning discrete concepts and then wanting to put them together in a way that like overall makes sense. Like, that's right. kind of how human beings learn things, right? Yeah. The gorilla was like, oh, yeah, no, it's bad when the cats eat all the birds. She's <laughs> like, wait, what? <laughs> how do you know that? <laughs> so, yeah, just to finish off, I'll recount the moment that he gets to meet her, because I think it's just very sweet. My first glimpse of Coco was through a chain link fence marking the boundary of her playroom. I was directed to a plastic chair. If she likes you, the assistant offered, she'll gesture for you to come closer onto the porch with her. I said hello through a surgical mask that an assistant had given me, uh, along with a pair of latex gloves. With a 98% genetic similarity, gorillas and humans are susceptible to most of the same pathogens. I tried to smile with my eyes as I made the sign of greeting, a little salute. Patterson cautioned me earlier to refrain from asking Coco questions. This is what I said earlier. I was to let the gorilla take the lead. She has that royal air about her, the researcher explained. She doesn't entertain questions. Just like you wouldn't question the queen, Coco's the same way. She'll just disengage. (laughs) After a moment, the 350-pound primate gestured for me to approach. I thanked her as I climbed onto the porch, touching one of the big black fingers that she offered through the fence. She purred. That means she's happy, Patterson noted. For nearly a minute, Coco and I gazed into one another's eyes. Hers were dark and serene. With Patterson acting as a translator, Coco directed me to remove my mask. The gorilla demonstrated that she wanted me to blow out so she could smell my breath. Olfication is important to gorillas, Patterson explained. The gorilla was sussing me out. Next, Coco asked me to pick some flowers from a nearby garden and bring them over. I gave her a red blossom first, which she promptly ate. The second one I offered she took and then handed back to me. Patterson said that Coco wanted me to eat it too. (laughs) I told Coco that I liked the smell and asked if she did too. She sniffed at it before turning her head, apparently unimpressed. After a while, Patterson brought in the kittens. Coco gently picked up the grey one and cradled it in her arms. I asked if the kitten was her baby. She purred and offered it to me to pet through the fence. The gorilla turned to Patterson and requested that I enter her enclosure. That's a very nice compliment, the researcher told me. It means she really likes you. Unfortunately, we can't let you in. She turned back to the gorilla who already seemed to understand Patterson's dismissal. Any human parent would immediately recognize her tight-lipped, arms-crossed, hunched-over pouting. (laughs) She's like, As the clock ran down on our visit, Patterson informed Coco that I was leaving. The gorilla gestured goodbye and watched me go, and there it was again, that profoundly penetrating gaze that reciprocated my own. I didn't want to go. It was a gaze that drew me in closer and closer, even as I moved farther and farther away. I thought of all the radio and optical telescopes of the world perpetually aimed at the sky, scanning the heavens for the faintest glimmer of intelligent life. All this while we're still so far from truly understanding the intelligent life here at home. Yeah, I just thought, like, well, how amazing! What an amazing experience to be able to meet this creature. But Coco passed away on June nineteenth, twenty nineteen, 
And the Gorilla Foundation said in a statement that it will continue to honor Coco's legacy and advance our mission by studying sign language in great apes and pursuing conservation projects in Africa and elsewhere. So that is the story of Coco, the queen of gorillas. Gorilla, gorilla, gorillas. I think I they're like, you know, we're really sad that Coco's gone, but we do want you guys to meet Stacy. This is our new. <laughs> No. This is Stacy and Bianca. They're much younger. Much a younger, hotter gorilla. You never <laughs> believe what she says. Yeah, she's no. not a thing. I'm so glad that you brought this topic to the show because, uh, yeah, like I, when I found out that Coco died last year, Connor just woke up to me like sobbing in bed with like Twitter Aww. on my phone because it had always been like my dream to get to meet Coco. Uh, gorillas are one of my favorite animals. I think they're super misunderstood. And I think there's actually, I think Michael Crichton wrote about this in Congo, which is why I think it's so funny that you brought up Congo, Patrick. So Congo features a character that's based on Coco named Amy, the gorilla that's learning sign language. I believe I recently caught this movie on TV and I was like, what the hell is this? <laughs> well, the movie is uh, does really diverge from the book. You know, like Mike, Michael Crichton is slash was, I think he's dead too. Uh, a massive nerd and so like whenever you read any of his books it's clear that like the plot is just an excuse for him to like explain a bunch of things that he thinks are interesting which i still really like his books if you've never read prey prey is one that has not been turned into a movie yet but it's very good and it's about like nanotechnology but anyway so in congo he talks about how actually racism and colorism contribute to our dislike of gorillas because gorillas are big and they have dark fur and chimpanzees look like little baby humans. Chimpanzees are horrible and they will rip, rip your, rip your face, face right off. off. Yeah, yeah, straight off. Whereas uh, gorillas are very like gentle and they're vegetarians and they don't attack humans like at all. But in movies like the film adaptation of Congo, and you know uh like the planet of the apes movies that came out recently the gorillas are like the meanest scariest ones and it's there's just like absolutely no basis in fact on that no it's, they're sweet big yes, sweet ones are the like the but like the male silverbacks right like they fight each other for like they fight each other right but, but, like, but that's the only thing i can think of that people would be like for them to to for them to like build on you know right. i get that it's still alive but that's the well, what you have to understand, Patrick, is that when, like, two men just have a <laughs> powerful relationship, it's not gay. It's not it's gay. They're fighting. And more intense. They're dangerous. Yeah. yeah, they're just dangerous. So because dangerous. Of That's why we can't, let, we can't let girls around, because it's so dangerous. Yeah, it's dangerous. It's not gay. It's not. Like, not even a little bit gay, so. No. I just, uh, my other favorite one, because, I, you know, I think earlier on this show... I mean, like, earlier in, like, the month or whatever, I talked a bunch of shit about my mom's parrot, which then she later called me about. Did uh, she? <laughs> Whoopsie. You were like, I'm going to get in so much trouble for this. Uh, well, apparently there was, like, a parrot that was hanging around Coco's enclosure, and she called it Devil Tooth. <laughs> it was red, and she thought its beak was, like, a big, scary tooth. So she was like... she. Uh, yeah, she never minced words about things that she was not a fan of. She was like, get that devil tooth out of here. Out of here. I hate it. I am going to start calling people toilet when I'm mad at them. <laughs> You're the I had not heard that, and that is my favorite anecdote. One, one last fact. She was a massive Mr. Rogers fan. 
Oh, they also met too, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. She met him in 1998, and she embraced him and took his shoes off for him because that's what he does on the show. <gasps> See, that's the thing. Is like there. I and I mean, this could be. It's maybe I'll do this as like next week's, so it can become almost like a part one, part two. But you know, like there are there are some scientists who really try to tear down like the work that Penny did with Coco to say like, oh well, it's like selective because scientists just wish that like apes could communicate and to which i would say and i'll get into like their reasoning for disparaging it is also selective like it's just as selective um but because it's like when you hear things like that you have to a higher level function like because she watched his show she saw him take off his shoes every single time and she didn't take off anyone else's shoes but when he came to meet her she was like oh oh the shoe take off the shoes it's shoes time yeah animals are animals they're not humans and expecting them to like like creating some weird purity test where if like they don't like perform exactly as you would expect like a human a human child to perform in that situation means that they're not actually like exhibiting any kind of intelligence is ridiculous obviously they're they're gonna function like you said like you know she was doing signs that came sort of like instinctually from like other types of gorilla communication because yeah. she was a gorilla she's not a person so like <laughs> but yeah but then you hear stories like the one that you just told about like mr rogers and there's no way that that's not like some form of like higher order thinking mm-hmm. Ugh, eleanor yeah 10 points <gasps> right off the bat for coco uh 10 points for coco yeah 10 points for coco another three points for bringing some stories about coco i had never heard before hmm. um and then one more point for letting me tell you the story about the video dating with Michael. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> no, it only added. It enhanced. Patrice, what do you give her? I think I'm going to go with a solid six. <laughs> <laughs> well, all right then. Patrick, thank you so much for joining us on this episode of What? No, thanks for having me. It was actually really fun. I'm so glad. And I'm so glad your rectangle got bigger. And one day you'll have the biggest rectangle. I know. I want to get a rectangle so big I can, like, sleep under it. I wish there was oh, a name. Like a big rectangle you slept under. Like, like I wish there was a name for that. You make a big one that says irregardless. No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Patrick, where can people find you if you want them to? You can also say don't. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to find me you better work at it work <laughs> you gotta work bitch if you want to find patrick you don't want to you don't want to pimp like your etsy shop where they can buy your rectangles <laughs> check out patrick's rectangle store <laughs> i don't want anything else <laughs> okay. as is. will you make me a rectangle that says i don't want anything else <laughs> yes regardless of <laughs> Irregardless of what you say, I don't want anything else. I will make that for you. Chelsea, where can people find you? People can find me at Chelsea Harfouche, wherever internets are sold. And you can find me at Ellie Main on Instagram and Ellie Maney on Twitter. There's still a bot on that account, but that's fine. Doesn't matter at all. And you can find this podcast at WhatPot on Instagram and Twitter, Patreon, Redbubble. And you can find our website at thosetwogirls.club. Thank you so much for listening. And this week, I don't know, maybe, maybe you'll learn something. Ooh, Patrick, are you ready for my iconic sign off? Yes, yes, yes.
It comes from a woman on TikTok who was married to the ghost of Michael Jackson, and then she channeled the ghost of Elvis, and he used this sign-off. So just know that this comes from Elvis, okay? Okay. Keep it loose. Keep it tight. Say your prayers at night. <laughs> Pretty good, right? <laughs>